Hello and welcome to the Film Ireland podcast. In this episode, Paul Farron talks to Kieran J. Walsh about his film, The Racer, which tells the story of sporting highs and lows of the Tour de France. The Racer is in Irish cinemas from the 11th of December. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. This is Film Ireland and I have Kieran J. Walsh here to talk about his latest film, The Racer, and we might get some more gossip out of him as well. So congrats on the film, by the way, for a start. Thank you very much. Wow, it's an amazing looking production and it's a co-production, uh, Lux co-production, am I right? Yeah, that's right. Pan-European? Yeah, it's three countries, three countries, Belgium, Luxembourg and Ireland. Your leading actor is a Belgian actor, am I right? That's correct, yeah. I mean, Belgium is the, uh, is, the, is the home of cycling, really, professional cycling. People kind of assume because it's the Tour de France that, uh, you know, it's, it's Fr- France that uh, is the home of cycling, but it's actually, it's actually Belgium. It's actually Flanders, which uh, the kind of Dutch-speaking part of, of Belgium is the real home of cycling. I mean, it's in their blood there. It's their national sport. So it seemed apt that our lead character be Belgian, be Flemish, you know. First off, tell me, where did the idea come from originally? I think it was Kieran Cassidy originated it. That's right. Yeah, Kieran Cassidy, who's a bit of a sports fanatic and a documentary maker, as you probably know. He was intrigued about stories he'd been hearing about the time the Tour de France came to Ireland in, you know, a couple of years later. Stories about, from people who worked in the hotels, about riders jogging up and down the corridors in the middle of the night, or the sounds of bikes whirring in hotel rooms that like you know in, in the early hours of the morning and this was intriguing what the hell was going on like i mean is this how they train and he knew that that wasn't how they trained and and there's a book called end of the road uh written by alistair alistair fotheringham which is basically that 98 tour they thought it was going to be the end of the tour de france completely is going to finish right and um in actual fact they they were so scared of this that they put in a lot of um, the the organizers of the tour put in a lot of structures to try and stamp the drugs out completely i mean it got really strict about it. a lot of testing a lot of resistance from the riders who went on strike and stuff but a lot of resistance and uh, they even brought in a blood passport paul McQuaid brought in the blood passport who was the head of the uci at the time and uh however the next seven years lance armstrong won the tour de france yeah, and everyone said stuff and nobody believed anything, but it was being called by a lot of people for a long time. Yeah. What's interesting as well is this story, I would say it's reductive to call it a sports film. It's not a sports film, it's a film set in the sports world. Yeah, I would thoroughly agree with that, that uh, opinion. This is a, it's a character study about a guy who happens to be a, um, a cyclist. But he could have been a, I guess he could have been a footballer or he could have been a mountain climber or, he, you know, it just, it just, it does happen to be set in the world of, of, of cycling, which uh, is probably, well, the Tour de France is probably, arguably, it's, it's the most uh, difficult sport in the world. So it really is an examination of this character and how much he, this, this second fiddle, this, this support rider, how much he's going to sacrifice his life for the winners, for the champions. Uh, and that is what I found intriguing, the, the, the level of, of sacrifice that goes on and the danger that this, these guys put themselves into for little or no uh, praise outside of the world of cycling. Nobody really knows the domestiques that much, you know. Um, if you're a big cycling fan, you'll know them. But like, of course, everybody knows Lance Armstrong. Everybody probably knows Pantani. Everybody knows 
Stephen Roach and you know what I mean? The champions, the guys who win, but nobody yeah. knows how to get them there. And I found that intriguing. There's very few, that kind of uh, area of also runs, you know, as you say, all these people who keep all the other guys up in the air, who get all the glory. Yeah. And, uh, but also the intrigue, the fact that, I mean, basically the character's on a kind of possible last legs of his tour. He's 39 years of age, which is like ancient in cycling, I think. I think yeah. the average is 35, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah, yeah, about that. Yeah, I mean, there and, are some exceptions, uh, but yes, uh, it's 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 old for any sports person, but particularly that that sport. My God, that sport is so punishing on your body. I don't know how anybody could carry on. You know. Uh, personally, what was the hook for you? That what did Kieran sell you that you went? Yeah, I really would love to develop this. Well, actually, I think uh, uh, it wasn't at the time, but during the the, the lead up to shooting the film, uh, and actually the writing of it, to be honest. Uh, where I found myself connecting most with the story of these guys, these journeymen, these, um, these domestiques coming to this point in their lives where they don't know what's going to happen next. I kind of felt that, that is almost like the, 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 the life of a film director, actually, you know, I mean, a film director, you know, you make a film and then you, 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 when you're making a film, you're thrown into a situation for three months of shooting and prep and everything. Uh, you are up close and personal with people that you don't really know that well, and you've got to really kind of gel with them. And, you know, we're all working together, sometimes away from home. Uh, and then at the end of that, it all stops. And that family that you've, that family that you've just been introduced to falls away and you're left with the material. Yeah. And you're away from your own family, your own blood, uh, making this thing and you're isolated. And as a director, you really are kind of on your own. You may be supported well by producers and whatnot, but you're really on your own and you kind of carry the can, you know, in this in instance. And then when, it, when you do the film, you really don't know whether there's going to be another film around the corner. Like it's such a precarious business. So, you know, although um, age doesn't necessarily come into it when making films, because it's not really, I mean, you've got to be physically fit, of course, but, you know, it's not like a sport, but I did, I did feel an affinity with Dom you know, reaching that crossroads in his life and thinking, what am I going to do next? What's around yeah. the corner? So that's really what I connected with it because I'm not a, a massive sports fan myself, you know. I, um, but then again, I look at films like Raging Bull, for example. That's not really about boxing. I mean, the guy does yeah. more fighting outside of, outside of the ring than he does inside of the ring. You know, he fights with his brother and his wife and everybody else. So I, I, I find that... Uh, and like films like... Strange kind of comparison, but like Whiplash, you know, is, is a guy is obsessed with being the best drummer in the yeah. world, like, you know, and he's being beaten around by his trainer, like his, his, his coach. I, I, and I, I think that intensity um, really interested me, interested me in, in this film. So that's where it came from. Yeah, it, it, it reminded me of any other film. It was actually The Wrestler. The Wrestler, yeah, absolutely. The Wrestler is definitely a reference. I would say Rocky even has got a reference there as well. Yeah. Well, it's a darker yeah. film. Uh, it's, it's, yeah. As I said, I felt it's as much a metaphor for life as anything else. It is. Yeah. And how we make these choices. And we know we're all doomed in the end. And that, I thought there was something quite honest about the character. He wasn't lovable all the time. It was this beautiful honesty about where he felt he was. Mm. I mean, you also give him that big moment where he... He's every reason to walk away and try and do something that's not what this is. But I don't want to say any more about the film because let's find out, let them watch it themselves and find out. Sure. Well, I mean, I actually did, you know, speak to some professional writers and ex-professional writers 
about the various different things, conundrums that they would come across while the, whilst they're on a grand tour, whether it be a Giro or a Vuelta or, or a Tour de France. And really nothing gets in the way. Honestly, it's, you know, it, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's the reality of it, you know, it's terrible, but that's how serious they are about it, you know. Well, it, it's also very strange that your film was almost like a Tour de France because you were flitting back and forth between two or three different countries. Tell me what was that like as for a production? I know a few guys who've done it and it's, it's tough, but it's amazing. I couldn't see where Luxembourg was. I know you did a few locations abroad, but a lot of them were here. I, I recognize a few. All of the exteriors were done in Ireland, apart from the very last shot, which was done in, uh, done in Luxembourg. But uh, the, the very last uh, little, little shot, which is when the, the tour is back in France kind of thing. You okay. Know? All of the interiors, well, not all of them, nearly all of the interiors were done in Luxembourg. So the hotel rooms, a, a couple of the bars, even though, because there's plenty of Irish bars in Luxembourg, believe it or not. So the bars and, and a couple of restaurants or whatever, any, most of the interiors were done in Luxembourg. There's plenty of Irish in Luxembourg. I have a lot of friends over yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, there is. And there's a, a healthy film. There's a couple of Irish people working in the film industry over there as well. So yeah. we worked on this film. Actually, you know. But, uh, so, yeah, um, it was, I mean, broadly it broke down like this. The 50% of, the, sh of the, the shoot was done in Luxembourg. The other 50% was done in, in Ireland. And nearly all of the post-production was done in Belgium. So it kind of divided up quite, quite nicely. I mean, yeah, I mean, look, in, in reality, from a production point of view, it would have been much easier to shoot the entire film in Ireland, actually. But, you know, this is, it's also, it's a European film in the true sense of the word. It's not like a, a Euro pudding where, you know, you, you cast this person because you're getting money from there, you cast this person because you're getting money from there. It actually organically worked as a, as a European production because the Tour de France is a, is a pan-European event and the teams are made up of people mostly in those days it was mostly from europe but now it's from all over the world but there are a lot, a lot of them are european teams you know so and and now it's multilingual whereas before 98 before before lance armstrong came into the tour de france all the communication was through french and the authorities of france went kind of crazy when lance armstrong started doing his press conferences in english they were really pissed off with him you know that's how, that's how much they cling to Tour de France and, and, and the French ownership of it. Believe it or not, the last French person to win the Tour de France was Bernard Hinault in 1986. That's a while. That's a long time ago. It was the last French person to win it, you know. So it's changed a lot in the last uh, 30 years, you know. And, and it survived its, its, um, uh, the, the drug thing. But what I loved about the, the drug aspect was it's, it was thrown in without any moralizing. It was simply par for the course. And you kind of understood it or felt their their attitude towards it because we know it's been so prevalent in in the sport. I, mean, I think some people be even saying, why don't they just put drugs into the sport and have them advertised to be pharmaceutical companies? <laughs> there was a, a suggestion to have the drug Olympics one year, wasn't there? You know, where everybody can just take whatever they want. I mean, and I mean that's the, the, like you know the deaths that occurred as a result of EPO cannot be denied. You know, at least twenty. Yeah, of course. I mean, they went to bed and never woke up. You know. And it hasn't been absolutely uh, definitively proved that it's EPO, but like these are young men, you know what I mean? You yeah. go to bed and don't wake up, you know? We have heart attacks. Yeah. And they, you know, and they were taking drugs. So put those things together, you know? I mean, that's why you cannot allow something like that to happen. You cannot allow them to, you know, that's why they have to get rid of it because it's dangerous, you know? And we all know that sports people are so competitive. They will do whatever it takes to win. 
And that's what we've got to protect them from, you know? And, and yes. that's why, and in those days, it was very cavalier, very cavalier taking of drugs. The, the, the crime was not taking the drugs, the crime was getting caught. In the film, I wanted to just sort of show that that's the re that was the reality. In fact, you were allowed, you could take EPO back in the 90s as long as your hematocrit level remained under 50%, which means your, your um, red blood cell count remained under 50%. If it exceeded 50%, then you were, you were banned or you were, you know, they were fined or whatever. But if it was below that, even though you'd taken the EPO, you could get away with it. Wow. Now, nowadays, you can't take it at all. Like, you know, it's, it's much more strict. But so, you know, and, and the Tour de France has always had some kind of stimulant involved in it. Back, you know, 100 years ago, they were drinking brandy on the bikes or whiskey or anything to just to take the pain away because it's all about alle alleviation. Endurance, yeah. yeah. But, but that's interesting in itself is that, as you say, there was always something and it, the drugs have changed. And then, like, even the, the, the arguments in court were the fact that I took such, a, such an antibiotic and they could trace it back that. And the politics of trying to get away with these things is huge in the background. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a science, you know what I mean? It's a, a business as well. I mean, that guy Ferrari, who was um, responsible for Lance Armstrong's success, arguably, he was like a, he was like a Frankenstein, you know, Dr. Frankenstein. Like, and he really was, you know, he had fine-tuned how to do this thing, how to do it. And, you know, he was the best in the world. And, like, Fra Lance Armstrong is still fighting fit, you know, so he had the best doctor looking after him, giving him the best quality EPO and the best quality amphetamine or whatever it is he's giving him. A lot of the other guys couldn't afford Dr. Ferrari, you know, so... Uh, yeah, you know. Ferrari style. Yeah, silly, you know? <laughs> Tell me a bit about the filming itself, the exteriors with James Mader and that. A complex, some gorgeous shots, some beautiful uh, openings up near the canister, the pepper canister in, in town, and then around uh, Wicklow, I think it was. Yeah. But it tells me a complex shoot. Yeah, I mean, look, we, we shot the film in 28 days. Wow. Yeah, which is a tough call. And, and the thing that was always looming, because we did all the Luxembourg stuff first, and then we went back to Ireland. So all of the racing was going to be done in Ireland. And we were, it was just terrifying, the prospect of it. But actually, we were so prepared. We'd storyboarded and we'd pre-visualized pre a lot of the stunts and the racing sequences. And we were prepared for coverage. We had, we had um, de designed this rig. Uh, Paul Sand designed this rig, which we ended up calling the Tour de Sand, which was basically a truck with a... Uh, cantilevered pole with a camera on the end of it that we could swoop in, down in amongst the riders, low, high, wherever we wanted to go without endangering them. We had uh, onboard cameras called Osmos, which were strapped to the bikes that could shoot little bits and pieces of the bikes and the, and the riders. And then we had drones in the air, who, which were uh, basically uh, emulating cameras, which are emulating helicopters, which would have been used at the time to cover the tour but also doing some more interesting stuff um, as drones. And then there was, um, there was also cameras on the side of the, of, of the various different like, static cameras on the side of the road and stuff like that. So we had plenty of coverage for this kind of stuff. And um, we were worried about, you know, getting it done. We were also worried about, you know, crashes happening. And uh, we got very lucky. We only had one crash, which was a pretty bad one, actually. And the guys, actors and, and extras ended up in hospital as a result of it. But it ended up in the film. So... I saw that. <laughs> yeah, so. Your Ben-Hur moment without death. <laughs> that's right, that's right, that's right. 
So, uh, yeah, no, it, there was a lot of uh, thought and, uh, and preparation that went into that. Uh, the irony of the situation is that the stuff that we did in Luxembourg, like we were in little real hotel rooms. There was no money for sets. We had real hotel rooms, small hotel rooms. And mm -hmm. sometimes we'd have like, you know, 30 people in a small hotel room with the, between the cast and the crew shooting this thing. And um, the irony of it is there was more sweat coming out of those hotel rooms than there was when we were actually doing the cycling in Ireland, you know, so... Yeah, and they were tough, they were very, very tough. So it was extremely arduous. The shoot was really hard, but James was brilliant. We had a fantastic location manager, Donica Brady, who was just, I mean, he cleared some of the most amazing locations for us. Like, I mean, the pepper, all around the Pepper Canister Church and stuff. It's incredible to get that access. And we actually shot, I mean, the tour did go through there in 98. And Wicklow Gap and Sally Gap, the tour went through those places as well. So we were going back to the scenes of the crime, really, and, and, and recreating it, you know except for not half the, as much money as the Tour de France had, you know. <laughs> so 1998, a footy period to be set to, to shoot. Was there worry about get, missing things and having a bit of a, a, anachronisms in there? Yeah. <laughs> all down the phones. yeah, absolutely. The thing is, um, <laughs> the, you know, uh, making a, it's technically a period film, you know, but making a, a period film in the recent past, it's much more difficult because there's not a huge difference between now and then. I mean, but when you examine it, there's obvious ones. I mean, there wasn't a proliferation of mobile phones in 98. Far from it. You know, Lynn, Dr. Lynn, played by Tara Lee, she holds up the phone like and this what thing and how do, I, how do I use it kind of thing, you know. Um, so, and pay phones were the means of communication. And in Ireland, we had pretty dodgy pay phones with push button A and push button B and all that. There was obviously the clothes and the hairstyles. But, and, and, and things like, we had to be very selective in some of the locations that we decided to shoot in. The original Grand Depart happened on O'Connell Street. That was where the, the race originally started. We couldn't shoot there. Not just, not just because we couldn't shut down O'Connell Street, but there's a spire there that wasn't there before. There's Lewis's going up and down that wasn't there before. There's square trees and the floozy of the jacuzzi is gone. So it had changed quite a bit. So, but Marion Square, thankfully, hasn't changed that much at all. Like, you know, it's still a quintessential Georgian square. So it was perfect for it, you know. Uh, and not much has changed up in like Sally Gap or anywhere like that, you know. So that and with the music, I think music does an awful lot to set a tone for a film. And um, we, we our, our, our soundtrack featured um, what I believe is probably the, the quintessential 90s band, um, Primal Scream, who top and tail the film. Uh, yeah. But also we, I worked with a, a, um, a composer in, in Belgium called Hannes de Mar, And um, my reference point was Kraftwerk, who had written an album called Tour de France Soundtracks. Yes. So we, we wanted to get an was a nice, a nice sound that was, yeah. I, I, it was sound, yeah. just the right one, I felt, yeah. And tell me, VFX, yeah. was there much and was very helpful? Very. I would have thought it would have been. I mean, you know, um, uh, we're, we're talking to mostly film people here, I guess, but... Uh, you know, the, the, the recreation of the opening stages of the Tour de France where like there was probably 10,000, more than 10,000 people on the streets watching this thing. Now, we could afford 200 extras. That's what we could get, you know. Yeah. And we needed to fill the entire stretch all the way from Dahl, the Dahl all the way up to the Pepper Canister Church. So we relied on crowd duplication and VFX to do that, you know. Um, so there's various different areas where we can we put people in afterwards. I mean, and, and, and extended the length of the peloton, the, the riders. So was, instead of having 60 riders, it looked like we had uh, 180 riders. I mean, that really, 
was the extent of it, to be honest, you know, and that might sound simple, but actually it's quite complex. I mean, there was rubbing stuff out and taking out things that might, anachronisms and stuff like that, you know, um, mm -hmm. but really uh, that, that was the, 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 the donkey work. And, you know, it's not a film that you look at and you go like, wow, the VFX are amazing because it's just trying to... That's what you would, yeah. Trying to create you don't want anyone saying that. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, it's not like a special effects film, like, like a, a superhero movie or whatever. It's a, it's a film that we're trying to recreate a time period, you know. In fact, I was looking at The Crown the other night and um, when they went to Australia, the, the Charles and Di went to Australia and, uh, you know, they recreated, I think it was the 80s when they went to Australia, maybe it was the 90s. But there was a lot of crowd duplication there, but it was really, really well done. So it's become, I think it's become quite sophisticated, the, the, the technology to do crowd duplication now. Do you, you think, though, it's also created a kind of a cinematography that comes with it that still creates this kind of illusory fairy tale sense of the past? I don't feel the, I don't feel the dirt in the air with some CGI or some VFX. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I, I would agree with you there. I mean, my, my brief to the guys was, look, I, you know, I just wanted to look like real. You know what I mean? I wanted to look realistic, you know. Yeah. The shots might be a little bit, because, um, you know, some of the shots we did, like, for example, over the, we, we had a drone over the pepper canister church, you know, directly overhead. So, you know, that wasn't the kind of shot that was being done by the helicopters back in 98. They couldn't get down that low and mm -hmm. just wouldn't cover it like that. They, they cover it in a more traditional manner. So the shots might have been a little bit more creative, but the, the, the crowd had to look real. That was, that was my brief. And everything had to look real. I mean, it's a gritty behind the scenes look at the Tour de France in 98, that it really is that, you know, and it's a, an examination of this, um, this domestique. So there's a, there's a gritty realism there, which um, I, I didn't want to shy away from. Tell us, Kieran, where can people see this film, where, where they need to go to, to make sure they, they catch it? Okay, well, I've, it's been a tough year with COVID. Uh, you missed out on your South by Southwest screening and a few others, I'm sure. Yeah, um, this, is, uh, this has been a really, this, the film has got a kicking because, because of COVID. It got released in Belgium quite wide and was second to Tenet in the, in the box office over there, which is pretty good. Fantastic. Um, but, you know, the cinemas, I think, have closed down there now. But it, that was last September. It got released and um, it did quite well. But apart, and, it, and it was released in America um, later in September. Again, difficult because a lot of the cinemas were closed. A lot of the cinemas that in places that would have been interested in this film, particularly interested in this film, like, you know, California and New York, there was no cinemas open. So those people didn't get a chance to see it in the cinema. So it was a day and date release there as well. It's coming out in the UK on the 18th, day and date release, and will be released to whatever cinemas are open in the UK. Here it's, first of all, getting like, a, a, I think it's a two-week window before it, before it comes out in the UK. So it's in cinemas at the minute. Unfortunately, it hasn't got to as many cinemas as I would like it to have got to because of a lot of re-releases, a lot of films like Love Actually and, yes. and these Christmas feel-good movies that have been shunted back into the cinemas. And it's never a tough time for that kind oh, of film. God, yeah, I mean, it really is. So it's on in the Lighthouse and it's on in the IFI at the minute and then it's on in lots of other cinemas outside of Dublin. So I think it's about uh, 10 or 12 cinemas outside of Dublin. Yeah. Well, we'll make sure we get any more details on our site as well. Uh, it's been great talking to you. Thanks very much. Thank you, Kieran. Cheers, Paul. Cheers. Bye-bye now.